Section 5 of The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 1, October 1895. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hulda Heath. The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 1, October 1895. Section 5. Her Hoodoo by Harold Kinsabi. It was because the doctor insisted that my system needed ozone that I went to Colorado on a hunting trip. It was there that I met her, and it was there, by the way, that I became convinced that when a man with a lame lung undertakes to hunt ozone in the wild of the Rocky Mountains, he ought to provide himself with a guide. I went alone, and that's why I got lost. For two days I had tramped half-starved toward the rising sun with the hope of reaching some cattle ranch near Denver. On the morning of the third day, as I was trudging through a thick undergrowth, I was suddenly startled by a woman's voice. You didn't happen to spy a little speckled heifer back yonder, did you, stranger? It is said that upon the approach of a human being, the first impulse of a man who has been lost in the woods is that biblically ascribed to the wicked, namely, to flee when no man pursueth. But at this time I was too far gone with hunger and weariness to flee from anything. I simply leaned against the tree trunk and awaited the appearance of the voice's owner. She came, riding a bronco, across the crest of a hillock. She was slight and wiry, and she wore her huge sombrero and man's canvas shooting coat, with an air that at first suggested the cowboy. A later glimpse of feminine drapery, however, proclaimed her something infinitely more interesting, a real Rocky Mountain cowgirl in all her glory. No, I answered weakly to her repeated question as to the heifer's whereabouts. No, I've seen neither hoof nor hide of your heifer, which is lucky for you, as I should probably have eaten it if I had. You do look hungry, said the strange horsewoman, and as she spoke, the bold lines of her aquiline face relaxed into an expression of womanly solicitude. Here, take this, she added in a business-like tone, producing from a bag that lay meal-sack fashion across her saddle a can of pressed beef and a square foot or so of cornbread. No, as I tried to speak, never mind explanations. Have some lunch with me and talk afterwards. That is, if you ain't afraid to eat with a cowgirl. You see, she continued, when we were comfortably seated on a moss-grown log that served as a whole set of dining-room furniture, I know myself what it is to get lost and nearly starve to death. Having experienced misfortune myself, I know how to pity others. I choked over a morsel of cornbread and stared at my companion with ill-bred astonishment. A cowgirl who quoted Virgil, even in a translation, was something not dreamed of in my philosophy. Yes, I don't wonder that you look surprised, said my hostess good-naturedly. I suppose I don't look as though I was up in the classics. But the fact is, I'm a graduate of Iowa Wesleyan University, and I've studied Latin, Shakespeare, geometry, and all the rest. Yes, musingly, once I expected to pursue a literary career. 
Indeed, my professors all told me that I might become the George Eliot or Mrs. Browning of America. But that speckled heifer I was asking you about just now knocked all my plans into a cocked hat. How was that? I asked. Well, it was like this, said the cowgirl college graduate, as she pushed aside her cornbread, untasted, and, planting her elbows upon her knee, dropped her chin upon her palms, man-fashion. In the spring of 1885, several years after I graduated, my father died, and mother and I came to Colorado and bought a ranch at Plum Creek, some twenty-three miles south of Denver. You see, my father had been an invalid, and ever since I can remember, we'd been chasing round from pillar to post trying to find a climate that agreed with him. So this was really what you might call the first chance I had to go to work in earnest. It was a lovely, quiet spot, an ideal place, I thought, for communing with nature and pursuing a literary career. But it was not so to be. Like, what's his name with a tender heel? Achilles, I suggested. Yes, like Achilles. I had one weak spot that was going to be my ruin. I was crazy about pets. Why, if it hadn't been for that weak spot, I might be wearing literary laurel instead of lassoing cattle. But this is neither here nor there. What I was going to say was that before I'd been settled on that ranch three days, some men came our way driving a herd of Texas cattle to Denver, and as a late snowstorm came up just then, they decided to camp on good feed in the hills in front of my ranch. That afternoon they came over to our house to buy bread, and while they were there, they mentioned to me that they had a nice cow that had just calved, and offered if I would buy the cow to throw in the calf, as they were just going to kill it. Well, here was where my weak spot came in. No sooner did I hear about those animals than nothing would do but that I should have them for pets. Besides, the cow was offered mighty cheap, only $18, while I'd been going without milk rather than pay the 50 or $65 asked for a milch cow. So now I thought was my chance to close a good bargain and get two nice pets beside. Yes, sir, I even planned while the men were gone after those animals how I would domesticate them in a few days. And it took longer, I asked. Domesticate? I might as well have tried to domesticate an active volcano, but I mustn't anticipate. My first impression of my pet cow wasn't exactly encouraging. I had imagined her ambling serenely up to my house, mild-eyed and gentle, with the little calflet trotting at her side. Instead, she was dragged upon the scene by four men who had spent at least an hour in catching her and bringing her to me. The calf, meantime, after an equally exciting chase, had been led up and tied to a large plum bush. However, I wasn't one to let a little thing like that phase me. I was determined to make friends with that cow. So when about two hundred yards from the house the men threw her and took off the rope, I advanced with that idea but I wasn't half so anxious to make friends as the cow was. As soon as she set eyes on me, and if ever an animal had the evil eye that cow did, she made a beeline for yours truly. Look out, shouted the man, but I was already footing it pretty lively towards the thicket where the calf was tied, the cow after me, snorting like a steam engine almost in my ear. The next thing that I knew, I had slipped and fallen on the ice in the north side of the bushes with the cow on top. 
I believe that I tried to grab the creature by her horns with a wild hope that I might hold her down until the men came to the rescue. I might as well have tried to hold down a hurricane. As she rose, so did I, and was on my feet twenty yards away before she could see where I was at. Just as she rushed from the bush and lunged after me, I saw a rope swing through the air, and the next thing that devil-possessed cow knew, she was tied to a clump of thicket and left to meditate upon the evil of her ways. What did the men say to this? I asked. Of course, they made out that they were awfully surprised at the cow's antics, fearfully scared at my close call and all that, but I saw them grinning and chuckling as if they were ready to burst as they rode off and I felt dead sure they'd planned to have a double funeral, cow and calf both, if they hadn't found a tenderfoot to unload them on. However, I never was one to give in that I was beaten by anything, first off, especially by a cow. Besides, that idea of having two nice pets had got a great hold of me. I made up my mind that if kindness could reclaim that erring cow, she should be coddled like an infant. So, next morning, bright and early, I started for the plum bush where she and the calf were tied, determined to make peace. Fortunately, two gentlemen who had heard of the episode of the day before rode over to see me that morning and joined me on my peacemaking expedition. No sooner did the cow see me within thirty feet of her than she gave a fearful surge. The rope that she was tied with, worn thin by rubbing against the tree all night, gave way, and the cow made for me as though fifty devils had taken possession of her and were urging her on. I tell you, I didn't stop to think about the power of kindness on the brute creation. I simply yelled murder, and made for a sand gulch nearby as though a band of wild Indians were on my trail. As I reached the gulch and dropped ten feet or so down the steep bank, digging my heels into the loose sand to stop myself, that acrobatic cow sailed straight over my head and lit about twenty yards below. At first I thought that she was dead, but no such luck. In a moment she got up, looking foolish and dazed, but very much alive, and began shaking her head and pawing fiercely when the two gentlemen reached down and lifted me out, as much as to say this is what I'll do when I get hold of you. Which she didn't, I hope, I put in. No, indeed. You can be precious sure that I took particular care that she didn't have another chance to get hold of me or to get back into the yard again. For an hour or so after she had hoisted herself out of the gulch, she stood outside the fence that separated the yard from the field, shaking her head and pawing whenever she saw any of us at the doors or windows. At last, towards evening, she trotted off with a zigzag wabble down the bank towards the creek among the willows, and there she lay in ambush, you might say, so that for a week after we didn't dare to go down to make a garden or do anything else, for fear of having that cow descend like a wolf on the fold. And after that week, I inquired, well, finally she grew bolder and ventured on the mesa near the railroad track, where she made war on the section hands, and I was warned that I must take her out of the field or they would shoot her. So, to prevent her from demoralizing the entire neighborhood, I had her killed and used her for beef. And tough eating she was, said my hostess, laughing. But in any case, she was better dead than alive, for there wasn't room for that cow and me in the same country. But you've been telling me about the cow. What about the heifer? 
I thought that you said that she was the cause. Oh, yes, the heifer was the calf. Now, whether the cow disowned the calf or the calf the cow, I never found out. Anyway, the day that the cow disappeared into the bottomland, that little calf trotted up to the house and tearfully begged to be loved. Well, you might have thought I'd had enough pets for one while, but no. The helplessness of that poor little calf so went to my heart that for weeks I rode nine miles every day for milk and fed it to that little creature with my own hands. A sort of foster mother, I suggested. Yes, I was a mother to that little orphan calf. But if you'll believe me, it was a case of how sharper than a serpent's tooth is an ungrateful child, or however that goes. Yes, sir, that calf followed in the evil course of its mother. Only, if anything, it was worse. Sort of like Agrippina and her son Nero. Only this was a daughter. You see, the cow was perfectly open about her evil deeds, but the calf was underhanded. After trotting around me looking as innocent as though butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, she'd all of a sudden disappear and come back after a few days with an ear torn and the skin raked off her side, and pretty soon I'd hear that she'd been attacking horses or fighting other cows. One day, she chased an unlucky workman out onto the railroad bridge and kept him there until a train came along and the engineer slackened enough to take him on and carry him to Plum Station. Another time, she got after a tramp that was camping on the bottom land among the willows and forced him to take refuge in the forks of a crooked tree, where he roosted until one of us went down and called off Miss Bossy. In fact, the only return that calf ever made for all my love and care was to scare away tramps. If I could have kept her around the house just for that purpose, she would have been one of the best investments I ever made. But as years went by, that calf became more and more abandoned to evil. She would wander farther and farther from home, until now I spend half my nights worrying about her and more than half the day following her up and taking her home with me. I should think you'd get rid of the creature, I interrupted. Kill her? Yes, I suppose that would be the most sensible thing to do. But you know how it is about always loving the prodigal son the most. Yes, sir, wherever that animal goes, it takes my heart with it. And though it's nigh on eleven years old, I never can think of it as anything but a pet calf. And so it was bringing up that heifer that interfered with your literary career. Interfered? Well, I should say so. Back at the start, I did publish some poems in the local papers, and I read one or two essays at the Zion Church Literaries. But people wouldn't believe they were original. No woman, they said, who spent her time chasing wild cows over the country could write odes to spring and essays on Shakespeare. My literary career was killed, blighted in the bud, and as my income was small and I had to do something to make out a living, I've just turned my hand to anything that came along. Instead of gaining fame as the American George Eliot, I've been called Colorado Cowgirl and Bronco Buster. Instead of wielding the pen, I've driven a four-horse stage, branded cattle, broken saddle horses, sung in a church choir, run a blacksmith shop, kept school, given music lessons, run a hotel, taught painting, carried mail, roughed it on horseback all the way from Colorado to Oregon, 
and taken a hand in pretty much everything else except shoveling wind off the roof. But there, breaking off suddenly, you aren't interested in all this. What you want now is rest and shelter. Take my outfit and make tracks for Wilkins Ranch. Just give the pony his head and he'll land you all right. It's over that way, rising and gesturing toward the southeast. I tried to protest against this plan, but the Colorado cowgirl was already several yards away. That's all right. Meet you later at the ranch, she cried, turning for a moment before she plunged into the thicket. But first, she added with almost maternal solicitude, I think I'll just look around and see if I can't find that little speckled heifer. End of section five.